Hello, and welcome back to episode 12 of the European Show. I'm, today I'm joined by Nick again. Hi, welcome back. And we're going to look back at some very interesting results that actually happened in midweek. And we're going to delve into the depths of cup competitions as well, which is something we actually haven't done in our first few episodes. But first, we're going to start with Syria, as there was a big, big game between Milan and Juventus, which Juventus came out on top and actually won 3-1. And this ended Milan's long, unbeaten run in Syria. But it they do remain top. But during the game, it's safe to say that it was the Federico Chiesa show with him scoring twice and just being a menace and and just causing issues for Teo Hernandez, which you wouldn't expect considering the the season Teo Hernandez has had up until now. But to put one of the things to point out is how glorious Paolo Dybala's backheeled assist was for Chiesa's first goal. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was really, really nice and it was a, a clever little trick as well. And it really shows how Dybala is slowly regaining his confidence after having a, a pretty shaky start to the season and also being a little, bit, a little bit weak last season. He's clearly starting to regain a little bit of his magic and learning to, to play more in, this, in, the, in the side led by Pirlo, which he hadn't quite been fitting in yet. And this match, I, I feel like if it marked a pretty good, pretty good point for him because, as I said, he's really looking a lot sharper and a lot more creative than he was before. Yeah, especially because at the beginning of the season, he was experiencing uh, a goal drought and just wasn't performing as well as he was last season when he won um, the best player in Serie A. But one person who is growing in talent is Rafael Leao, who had struggled and had a bit of a slow and shaky start at Milan, but in recent games, he's beginning he's beginning to show his potential and show why Milan bought him from Lille, as he's just now becoming a menace for defenders. And he may even be key for Portugal in the Euros next, next or this summer, in fact. But on Juventus, we have previously called them as a team that are reliable on Ronaldo. And they also heavily rely upon elderly players in the team like Chiellini, previously Pjanic as well before he moved to Barcelona. But in this game, it was where the youngsters shine through. So obviously Chiesa was key in scoring to the goals. Dejan Kuluzewski was, when he came on, proved to be a menace, as well as Weston McKennie, who, as Nick has praised before, is having a very good season and is developing into a very good player, especially considering the fact he's managed to get away from the rot of Schalke. And then obviously Dybala, who is of the, on the older side in the younger group, is starting to to perform. Going back to what you said about Juventus always relying on Ronaldo and whatnot, I feel like if that idea and just that stereotype is really what, Milan, what lost Milan the game. Because in the match, it was quite noticeable that that instructions that Milan's defense had been given, or at least what they were trying to do, 
was was just to concentrate on on locking out Ronaldo, just covering him, smothering him, making sure he didn't get the ball, and just just absolutely crowding him so he couldn't do anything. And I mean, they did that quite effectively, but they, in doing so, they they left a lot of the other players open. I, I, as you said, the their younger talents were were able to to use the space that they were given, and and take advantage of the fact that they weren't being pressured as hard. And even then, Ronaldo was still able to to be quite effective in the, in, in the creative side of the game. With the few times that he was able to receive the ball, so really just concentrating on him that much and just focusing on one player was what I believe cost Milan the game. Yeah, but you could say that the tactic worked as Ronaldo was quiet throughout the game, but obviously they forgot about the rest of the players in the team as well. And Milan's next game is against Torino, who are languishing in the bottom half of the table. But Juventus, on the other hand, have a bit of a top-of-the-table clash against Sassuolo. So it's fourth versus fifth. So previously, uh, these games have been a bit of goal fests, with either the, both teams drawing, but it'd be being a high-scoring draw, or or a high-scoring win for Juventus. And I think, Nick, you would say that it's looking like a high-scoring win for Juventus. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm i under the impression that while Sassuolo is extremely good and extremely effective at at beating um, weaker opposition and, and teams lower than them in the table, they don't really have the tools capable of dealing with teams that are better than, than them in terms of quality which kind of makes sense. But I mean, them having a, a bit of a weak defense has led to them conceding a lot from, from, from the big teams in the league, such as, such, as, such as Inter, such as Atalanta. And therefore, I expect that the same will happen to, uh, on the weekend with, with Juventus. I, I, I'm pretty sure Juventus would, will just... Well, I'm pretty sure the Juventus attack will have a, a, a good, good game on the weekend. But, I mean, football is football. There can always be surprises. And Sassuolo are definitely the team that can provide a surprise for Juventus. So, this result for or Milan dropping points didn't really matter as they remained top as Inter missed a chance to go top, albeit it could have been for a few hours, as they lost 2-1 to Sampdoria. So there were several key chances missed during the game with with Alexis Sanchez missing a penalty and Lautaro Martinez missing several, several shots, which is surprising, especially considering the fact that he scored a hat-trick at the weekend. And yeah, and this cost, and this cost um, into, uh, massively as well, especially as well because there were three handball VAR calls Two for Inter, one for, uh, one for Sampdoria as well, and um, two of them being given, and yeah, and, and this was a sign that Inter are, should be more consistent than they actually are if they want to be able to mount some sort of a title challenge. And the two goal scorers for Sampdoria as well were both ex-Inter players in Antonio Candreva and Keita Balde. But most interesting about this game is was Sampdoria's second goal is there were some birds on the pitch. And when the goal went in, obviously, 
they flew away. And it would have been interesting to see Sami Handanovic's reaction to the birds congregating near his goal. To be perfectly honest, for me, the, well, the, the condition of the pitch that game was absolutely shocking. When it began raining, it got so, so muddy. It, it didn't look like a like a first like like the pitch belonging to a first division side in one of Europe's top leagues. It, it looked like a school pitch. It was so incredibly muddy, and you could see players really struggling not to slip. It it, it was strange to see that in at this level of football, to be honest. And that is clearly probably why the birds decided to land on there as well. And so Inter's next game is against Roma which is second versus third. So in the three previous games between the two teams, it was um, they all ended in draws. So this may end in a draw as well, but Inter, as, as you said, they, can, they have a shaky form, not being as consistent as they should be, whereas Roma, on the other hand, are slowly becoming more consistent and, and getting the results they need. So this could possibly end up with a Roma win. But obviously, I'm probably wrong, and Inter will probably win. So now we're going to look at Ligue 1, where PSG had their first game under Maurizio Pochettino, and it ended 1-1 against Saint-Étienne, with defensive errors costing PSG once again. And yeah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks as defensive issues still persist for PSG. It doesn't matter who is in charge, but they still are struggling defensively. And it, does, it doesn't matter whether playing a 5-3-2 or 4-3-3, which is what they played in this game. Saint-Étienne would easily break through this PSG team. And Saint-Étienne team that don't really have that many high quality attacking players but they made they PSG made them look world class with how how easily they were broken down in my opinion while well it's definitely true that as per usual this season PSG's defense was pretty rubbish up front they were well as effective as you'd expect them to be no shit they were as as powerful as 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 you'd expect them to be with with the players they have, except I mean they, Neymar wasn't with them, but I mean between Mbappe, Di Maria, and Moise and Moise Keane, they they really really threw everything they had at at the Saint Etienne defense, and it was a bit of a surprise they only managed to score once. But all credits to to the Saint Etienne defense and the and their goalkeeper, who really just gave it everything to stop out this ridiculously good attack. That, that was, it was extremely impressive that Moise Keane was only able to get a single goal. And he does continue his fine form under that in France. And it is being touted that he could possibly stay in France permanently. And did that be a, a good buy for PSG? He's clearly proving to be or adding a dynamic to their attack, which they haven't had before. Yeah, he's also really quite young as well, 22 or 23 years old, I believe. So he, there's still a lot of improving he can do. And, and this adds to a young PSG bench as well, with several academy graduates on the bench, as well as Colin Dagba and Mitchell Backer, 
as the fullbacks as well. So this could be the way forward and the way that Maurizio Pochettino is planning to use the team, developing a young core of a team, possibly so they save money to maybe buy a player such as Ronaldo or even Messi. As with with the money that Mbappe and Neymar and Di Maria are on, you you probably need to do some massive cost cutting. It doesn't matter how much money PSG have, the wages of all three of them combined is is a lot. And so with this draw, PSG actually goes second, because sadly Lille lost two one against Angers. But it, it that was all Leo's fault to be honest, because two sloppy errors. One by Jonathan David himself and two just defensively in a corner cost them uh, two goals in the first 10 minutes, which which made it more difficult for, for Leo to actually be able to crawl back and, and actually draw, really. As Boak Yilmaz was the only player on the pitch, really, that seemed to want to win the game. Well, as you said, the, the the Turkish international was by far the most active player in the attack. He he scored their only goal. He came quite close. I believe he hit the crossbar. And he, he was just everywhere, really, trying to create chances, trying to get shots off. And and he, he really seemed just the, the only one who, who was actually looking to get something from the game. Oh, they were missing another Turkish player, Yusuf Yuzici, who often provides a creativity, cutting edge and a clinical edge that that Leo were missing today and it I, I I would be confident in saying if he was in the team then the result would have been a lot different especially considering the form he has been in in recent weeks but he was being rested today but this may be a sign that the off-field issues at Leo are slowly creeping onto the field it's it's only one game back after Christmas break, but if if the results like these persist, then then I think it this isn't looking good for Leo as as we've mentioned the uh, the financial issues before, but it, it it they have to try and separate the the off field issues with the with the on field issues and just solely try and focus on mounting a title challenge really as they are still up there despite the fact they dropped points. But it, the title race in, in France is, is clearly showing that fine margins will cost will cost anyone, really, and will cause them to drop down quite far. And so Leo will be looking to bounce back next in their game against Nîmes. And so league leaders, uh, Leon are looking very good and have seemed to just steamrolled throughout the season using the win against Manchester City and their run to the Champions League semi-final as a bit of a a launch pad, especially considering the fact their season last year was shit. And they played Lance and they won 3-2 in quite an exciting game as well. But we're missing Toko Akambi and Bruno Gimmerich, who both were out through COVID. But it it didn't matter, is when you when you've got a player like Memphis Depay on your team, who is their captain, and he he shows this as well. 
he is just he's having a really good season and the fact he is a free agent in the summer I I would say that puts him as either one of the best free agents as the best free agent or one of the best free agents for for any team out there and obviously he's been linked with Barcelona but I do I do think wherever he goes he could be, be a massive impact and a great addition to the team as well and it's good to see that he's been able to rebuild his career after ruining it at Manchester United. Well, Depay was almost certainly the, the the best player on the pitch. The worst player on the pitch, unfortunately for Lenz, was our goalkeeper, who, who really just cost him the game, to be honest. A horrible punched clearance into his defender caused an own goal, which put them 2-0 down. And then, and then he fouled a player in the box pretty rashly, which caused a penalty and then which which Depay later scored. And I mean, just a combination of all of these errors shouldn't just... What, the cost of the game, really, it's it just not his day at all. And it was the worst possible time to have a bad day because they're playing against the league leaders, playing quite well, playing them evenly. And he just absolutely ruined the game for them almost. Yeah, and Lecker is clearly showing his age and with his increasing in mistakes. And so Leon's next game is against early league leaders, Rennes, who are languishing just outside the top five. And we'll be looking to make that charge back into it as they won't be having to deal with with European football, which is obviously something which is benefiting Leon as well as they aren't in the Champions League or Europa League. And it allows them to have more rest and be more sharp when it comes to games at the weekend. And one more standout game in Ligue 1, which may have gone a little bit under the radar, was the was the clash between Marseille and Montpellier. This is quite significant because Montpellier had actually been trying to break into the top four, top five quite recently with some pretty good performances. And they were unbeaten in their last seven away games. So here visiting Marseille, who are also trying to, to to breach the top of the of the table, Montpellier was possibly considered slight favourites, but in, in in a good surprise victory, Marseille beat them three one, and and this match was quite interesting because because Dimitri Payet was actually actually began on the bench after a few bad performances or just performances where he wasn't at his very best. Marseille's manager decided it was a bit. Of, it was time to give him a bit of a rest, some time to concentrate, and it, and it was exactly what he needed. As soon as he as as he came back on the pitch, he he was sharp, he was motivated, and he was very energetic. And shortly after coming on, he scored. He scored the the two one goal for for Marseille, and he and he wasn't the only the only player recovering form in, in a in a very positive way. Uh, Tovan who had also been a little bit lackluster at the start of the season, not showing as much as he was capable of, also was fully concentrated and energetic throughout the game. He, he actually started this game, unlike Payet, and he and he put in a very good cross to assist the, the opening goal of the game. So overall, it was it was a good match, and, and, and it was very important overall for the season. And, and now Marseille are within seven points of Lyon, as they were before they maintained their distance. But it's important to note they have two games in hand, which if they win, then they will only be two points off off the top of the table. 
So, so now if they can keep up their concentration and their good run of form, they can put in a serious, serious challenge to to the title. And and having these two games in hand, they're probably being underestimated a little bit right now. Yeah, especially because of the form that they were in in the, in the Champions League as well, where they looked pretty terrible and you wouldn't think they were fighting for a European place again. So now we're going to have a, a quick break and we'll be back with La Liga and the Copa del Rey as well with some interesting games. Welcome back uh, from our break. So we're going to start with La Liga now, where there there was uh, one game during midweek, and that, it was a pretty big one as well between Bilbao and Barcelona, where it ended 3-2 to, to Barcelona. This was Marcelino's first game in, in charge of Bilbao, and they did get off to a good start against... Um, against Barcelona with a goal for Iñaki Williams. But then a certain 17-year-old kind of grabbed the game by the neck, really. Yeah, absolutely. Pedri, Pedri scored a header with, with a pretty good assist from, from De Jong. And really, from there on, Barca just lifted right off. In fairness, when I say Barca, I'm mostly referring to Messi and Pedri. It, it was just their show completely. The connection these two showed together this game was was astounding. It was reminiscent of, of old times Barca when, when Iniesta and Messi would just play around the pitch together. It, it was really refreshing to, to see Messi smile again and see Messi enjoying himself. And he played much better football because of it and because of, of, of Pedri's immense talent and skill, which he, which he put on display today. And in fairness, they're one of the only good players on the pitch today. As I previously mentioned, the young... Gave a pretty good assist, and he's been quite interesting recently because he appears to be venturing into a more of a of a forward role, playing playing slightly more advanced than than before, which is quite unusual. You wouldn't expect that from him, but he's been scoring a little bit more than usual, uh, assisting a little bit more than usual as he showed today, and he he isn't perfect every game, but by he's not by far he he's quite far from that. But he's beginning to have an impact in terms of the goals of the team, which is quite important. So if he can solidify his performances there and become just consistently, just just a consistently solid passer, just the full ninety minutes, that will be very helpful to the team. However, while Messi did overall play a good game, he almost cost Barcelona the game just passing the ball backwards to the defense which got captured by 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 Netic Bilbao forward who then passed it to Munyain and scored and to make the game 3-2 and put Barcelona in a very tight position with 5 minutes left of the game I believe but overall it it was refreshing to see Barca 
not struggle against against a team for the first time in a while. Who would you say is more important to Barcelona's future? Pedri or Ansu Fati? That's quite difficult to say, to be honest. I haven't seen a lot of Ansu Fati recently because he's been injured, obviously. So it's difficult to compare them because while Ansu Fati was playing, Pedri either wasn't there or wasn't in form yet. But I would probably say Ansu Fati. First of all, because he came from, from the academy. So he's a little bit more ingrained with the mentality, with the play style. And also because he'll probably be more loyal to the club. But it's always impo- it's quite difficult to predict how long a player will stay anyways. And also because while Pedri can really bang out some incredible games like today, he's still quite inconsistent. Sometimes he does play pretty stinky. Sometimes he does play pretty bad games. Even though he always puts in 100%, always puts in maximum effort. I would say Ansu Fati is more consistently good. So I would probably say he will be more important. So at the weekend, uh, Bilbao have a big game against Atletico Madrid. And this game has the potential to be a bit of a banana skin for Atleti. So do you think that Bilbao can cause a, could cause some issues for Atleti? Yeah, absolutely, always. Especially with Marcelino as coach, who, who is most well-known for picking Valencia out of the depths of, of near relegation a few years ago and bringing them to two European competitions and win the Copa del Rey with them. He's an extremely good manager and very experienced in, in lifting teams from bad positions, which which Bilbao is kind of languishing much lower than they usually do. And he will definitely try and give Simeone a challenge. However, Bilbao does have the the disadvantage that that they played their full starters in midweek, while Atleti had a cup game, which I'm sure a cup game which we will mention later, obviously. But they took the opportunity to rest a lot of their players. So in terms of fitness, Atleti will, will be coming in with an advantage. Yes, yeah, so that'd be an interesting game to see how it how it pans out. So Barcelona against Granada, who are a bit of a plucky team, and and Granada they do play well as well. So they do have the capabilities of causing an upset, as as shown in the in the Europa League as well, where they were playing against teams are to be better than them in in PSV. So this could become a another game where. If Barcelona don't turn up, they could easily lose, especially if they perform how they did against Huesca, as Granada are a way better team and could punish Barcelona so much more. And so Real Madrid against um, Osasuna, this it it probably be a it probably be a standard win for Real Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. Don't really see any challenge that challenge that can come from there. I mean. Uh... Osasuna is an alright team, but obviously you, you, Zidane, Zidane always makes sure his team gives it everything, is concentrated for every match. And it's, it's hard to imagine them not taking this seriously enough to just get outplayed. It, it should be a pretty easy game for them. And in probably one of the biggest games this weekend in La Liga is Sevilla versus Real Sociedad. 
Yeah, absolutely. Two two huge competitors for for the for the Champions League spot. They will be both of them will be absolutely killing each other for for third or fourth spot, depending on on how Barcelona finishes. And to be perfectly honest, I I see Sevilla winning this one. Real Sociedad has been on a very downwards decline over the past month and a half, two months. Just without David Silva, their morale, their playing style and their morale has drastically worsened. And they're really not the the bombastic team, the really nice offensively flowing side that they were at the beginning of the season. And meanwhile, Sevilla have really picked up and and they're just charging for for the higher end of the table, just seeing how how far they can keep flying. Even even though they get they did get a little bit stopped by by Betis last week. I th- I think the key player for this game who will decide it will be Lucas Ocampos. He 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 is the decider for almost all of Sevilla's games in general, but I think th- this is really where he'll have his time to shine. Just, just because he is capable of finding sp- just spaces in defense, uh, as any good attacker is, and just doing these tight dribbles to to open up space, which is always important, but even more so now against Real Sociedad's very just compact and skilled defenders. Sevilla will need him more than ever. And the Campos's work rate is also pretty key, as he's able to just—he runs around like a madman all game, and still seems not to be as tired, which makes you think he may be a good fit for Leeds. But now we're going to move on to the Copa del Rey, as there were some interesting fixtures, to say the least, with the first game we're going to look at is third division Cornea winning 1-0 against Atletico Madrid. For the second year in a row Atletico Madrid got knocked out of the of the, of the Copa del Rey by a, by a third division team and it was basically the same story as last year to be honest just lack of concentration players not really taking it seriously and, and then just turning on way too late essentially Cornea scored in in the tenth minute, very very early on, with a um, w- with a free kick in w- in which Adrian Jimenez just flicked it on into in, into the goal, where where debuting academy goalkeeper Sar Roman was w- was in charge of, and then from then on the game just became almost impossible for Atleti. Cornea brought all all their defenders back, and. Well, being more used to playing on their pitch, on their on their astroturf pitch, in this different weather conditions, they just had the advantage. And I mean, you can say whatever you want. You can like complain about astroturf pitch, be unhappy about the refing, say your team is tired or whatever. I don't, I don't know. But at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter what the excuses, you have to beat these teams. Like if you are currently the best team in the league and you're playing as a third division team, there's no excuse for for not being able to beat something like this. And I think that this is a. I think Simeone made a big mistake by not bringing Lemar and and Carrasco to to this match because their creativity and explosiveness was greatly lacking from from Atleti. Coque would have been nice as well to just bring some order and calm to the midfield, which Atleti just desperately needed. But but really, these two wingers were 
absolutely what Leti needed most. Just a little bit of a, a good dribble to 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 break past that last man. Just a, a, a something to unbalance the, the opposition because really it, it was just like Leti trying to get past a brick wall. They needed something different at, at this point, and Leti is beginning to consider the Copa del Rey as a bit of a curse, I imagine. I, I do suppose as Atletico are pushing for an, another La Liga title, the players do need do need a rest. Yeah, that's true. This will help them to prioritize more on the league and just concentrate and as you said, rest more so they they're more fit for all of their all of their games if they want to to, to continue to be considered potential future champions of the of the league. But now another Copa del Rey game. It's, it's 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 great. I'm I'm struggling to express how great this is. So third division Ibiza, who came to light last year when they nearly beat Barcelona, losing two one, uh, uh, thanks to some late Anton Griezmann goals. They come up against another La Liga team in Celta Vigo, and thrashed them five two. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What was absolutely yeah. standout was that they didn't just knock out a team better than them. They absolutely destroyed them. Yeah, they, it wasn't a case of, oh, it was a fluky win. Ibiza were genuinely the better team. And and this whole team is just such a great team. <laughs> One, they play house music before each game instead of the casual generic pop songs. Unai Emi's ex-assistant manager is... The manager of Ibiza, fans were allowed in the stadium, so it created some sort of atmosphere. And they're on Ibiza, the island. What more can you love? And yeah, I'm going to adopt them as my own and support them because of because of how great they are. And I because of the I, I've looked at the project that um, Ibiza have been building. It's 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 a very interesting project. And it's definitely, they look like one of the favourites to get promoted to the Segunda B division. They get promoted to the to the second division uh, this season. So we, you may see more of them. And they are certainly looking on the up and look, looking like an interesting team as well. This week really has shown us the, the magic that you can experience from... From cup competitions, both with this result from the Atleti game and now the really, really magical result of Ibiza just absolutely thrashing a team much higher than them in the table. Yeah, and Ibiza may be able to generate some sort of a some sort of a cup run now, as they as they know they are able to beat a La Liga team, and so it, it just shows that it's not the FA Cup that's magical; it's the Copa del Rey as well. So we're going to have our goal song break now. We're going to try and have the Ibiza goal song. But if not, we'll, we'll, we'll have something else. You'll know after the break. Welcome back from our goal song break. Sadly, 
we were unable to find the Ibiza golf song. So just to, it, it's it's basically a house version of Seven Nation Army. But we have the replacement we have found is is by Leverkusen's golf song. And so Nick, what do you think of it? It wasn't very good at all. I thought it it sucked pretty hard. I mean, it's pr- pretty boring as a song. It's just like a generic kind of rock pop song. Not very interesting. And it doesn't really feel like a goal celebration song either. Not the right mood at all. I rate it my lowest score ever so far. 3 out of 10. Pretty terrible. I'm going to go for 6. Yeah. And so now, with the Bundesliga goal song looked at, we're going to look at the Bundesliga as there are some pretty big games this weekend as well. With the biggest being Bayern Munich versus the mighty Borussia Mönchengladbach, who we haven't talked about in a while. So Mönchengladbach are still without Marcus Turam, as he is still banned. But in their previous game, Jonas Hoffman and Remy Benzabayini both returned. And with Dennis Sakaria slowly getting back from fitness as well, this Mönchengladbach team is game by game looking looking better and stronger each time as they slowly begin to look to push into the top four again. But sadly, um, Bayern Munich are close to being back to their full strength as obviously Joshua Kimmich came back last week and so he'll probably start from the off again. Whether he plays right back or central defensive midfielder though is a different question as obviously Benjamin Pavard didn't play the best. But what's interesting about this game is that it's it's such an even game. So it's it's always like every year it's always the case of Munchen Gladbach beat Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich beat Munchen Gladbach. It's always what a piece in, in, in the game. For example, last season after the restart Bayern Munich beat Munchen Gladbach in Munich but one of the games of the season last year, not because of scoreline-wise, but drama, was it was at Bristol Park, where Jan Sommer made a, a fingertip save as the ball was slow, as a Joshua Kimmich shot was roll, rolling slowly over the line. He managed to claw it back quickly enough, especially to keep Munson Gladbach in the game at that point. And then right at the end of the game, after Yavi Martinez was sent off. Remy Benzabaini scored a last-minute penalty to win Mönchengladbach the game in definitely a situation that you would call smash and grab. But this this will definitely be one of a, f- a fun game to watch, as as although sometimes they're not high scoring, it is always interesting and full of drama. As you have a current German powerhouse against an old, more dormant ex-German powerhouse in Mönchengladbach. If, if if it so happens that Gladbach can't beat Bayern, what would you make of their of of Borussia's Mönchengladbach's chances of breaking back into the top four Champions League spots, especially seeing as to how strong Leverkusen, Dortmund, and and Union Berlin, Berlin even you could say, are, and really th- these three teams are currently the ones competing the most for the third and fourth spot. Well, I, I do think 
especially considering the fact they had Champions League football, that that has taken a lot of energy out of the team, especially with how high intense or how intense they, they defend. And that has obviously affected them as as they've had to heavily rotate their team each time. And each week, you're not seeing as strong a players play. So, for example, when he was playing, obviously, you would have Marcus Turan, Alisson Player and Lars Stindl all playing in a Champions League game. And then then in the weekend game against another team, such as Hoffenheim, they would play as a lot weaker team, which would then either it, they would normally drop points either drawing or or losing as well, and that and that's resulted in them languishing in seventh. So if they don't beat Bayern. It's it's not going to really heavily dent their chances as as Bayern beat everyone really. But if they start to lose against the smaller teams or the teams around them, it's definitely an an area that has to be addressed sooner rather than later uh yeah yeah absolutely uh i i think just uh a a loss here could be quite dangerous because they are in danger of being overtaken by eintracht frankfurt freiburg and augsburg and and if any one of those would win then they would overtake them assuming gladbach lost so i i'm pretty sure well i mean as with any game Borussia will really be going out to win this and We'll see if they manage to cause their usual upset. And so another big game this weekend is Dortmund versus RB Leipzig. So the Bundesliga have done a great job here playing or having two sets of big games this weekend. So this game is going to be a real big test for Edan Terzic. Probably the biggest he's faced so far as he's coming up against a a strong Leipzig team who, although they haven't been winning that convincingly, they have been grinding out the results. And it'd be interesting to see how he, especially how he deals with the threat of Angelino, who is who plays as a left-back, as we know, but gets so far forward, he's basically playing as a striker. And the way Julian Nagelsmann has changed him is definitely a, a masterclass, really. Or just shows how great Julian Nagelsmann is as a manager. But it'll be interesting to see whether Erling Braut Haaland, although he played last week, this weekend, tries to finally get into his um his stride and get, get back to his best and, and scoring again, as he's gonna be crucial if Dortmund want to want to win this game really, because of how much stronger Leipzig are as a team compared to Dortmund, especially considering the fact that Dortmund aren't it as in good a form as Leipzig. And it will also be interesting to see whether new Leipzig signing Dominic Sabozlai will also play. Because last week he last weekend he was on the bench and sadly didn't come on. But it, it especially if this game's a tight game, he may be the game changer that, that Leipzig need and will cement his place in the team from then on. But it's safe to say that that this is the first time. In the, in a game between these two, that Dortmund are not considered the favourites, as as obviously I've said, Leipzig are in much better form and are a lot stronger team in general than Dortmund currently. But if you match them player by player, then obviously Dortmund are the are the far better team. And one other point is Bas Dost has has moved to Club Rouge, uh, leaving Eintracht Frankfurt after his quite mediocre. 
stay there really where he wasn't able to catch the, the form that he experienced at Wolfsburg. And so now we'll look at the Eredivisie where there is a big game between Ajax and PSV. Yeah, it's a massive game. It's it, it's the Dutch Classico basically between two bitter rivals. And, and it's especially important this year more than any because Ajax have been a little bit weak in their title defense which they have kept up the past two years and now while they are first place Eindhoven is only a point behind them so they are very very close to each other and and it's it's going to be a close game there's no doubt about it but I I do see Ajax winning it to be fair mostly because what really sets them apart is their attack they they're absolutely blowing everyone out of the water with, with with their offensive capabilities this season, scoring 52 goals so far in 14 games compared to PSV's 33. And these two teams are the two highest scorers in the league. So it, it just goes to show how, how good Ajax's forwards are. However, they are actually more characterized by on and off performances Rather, rather than consistently scoring a moderate amount of goals. It's just sometimes they score five, sometimes they score just one, and it's not enough to win them the game, which is mostly why why Ajax are are so tight in the are so tight in the in the title competition despite scoring so much. It's just sometimes they absolutely destroy their opposition and sometimes they they're just not on their game. And really they'll they'll want to be fully plugged in for this uh, for this turning point in their season and I mean obviously wants to watch Anthony Santos a right winger from Brazil who who's been signed this season he's he's been absolutely incredible he has six goals and seven assists so far so for a debut season that's that's incredibly good and also as per always Dusan Tadic who's been moved to the left wing which is a little bit different to his normal center forward position because because of the arrival of of Huntelaar last season, who who is now playing striker, of course, and he is recovering his his form. He he was pretty off last year because I don't know he he just wasn't on his game and he he hadn't adapted well to in his return to, to the club. But now he's really getting back to to what he used to be, which is quite impressive, seeing as to how he's quite old at this point. So that front three will absolutely be what PSV will will be trying to stop and and they'll decide the game to be honest so we'll have to see if, if it's the goal fest we expect it or if PSV will manage to silence Ajax's trident and and pull off what would be a, an absolutely season defining win and also shout out to Noni Maduek who is English and he could be the difference maker for PSV as he has been playing as he's playing well recently and is in good form. And finally, I think you would like to mention about a specific character in in the Belgian Pro League. Yeah, turning our eyes to Antwerp, we we saw a, a fun little display of shithazery, you could say, from Royal Antwerp player Didier Lamkelze. Who actually has a bit of a reputation for for being a bit of a wild card for being a little bit crazy? Well, this week, what what made him stand out, what made him make the headlines, was that as a player of Royal Antwerp, he came to he came to to training dressed in a 
dressed in an Anderlecht shirt. Anderlecht obviously being rivals in, in, in the league of this team. It was a shirt he he gotten from Yannick Bollet last time they they played against each other, and obviously the, the 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 manager wasn't very happy with him, and he got kicked out of training because of it, and he he later apologized, which which seemed all right, and then later later that evening he posted a picture on his Instagram wearing the top and also a beer shot tracksuit bottom beer shot being Anderlecht's bitter rivals from Antwerp as well. I mean, this is this is quite possibly an attempt from from Didier Lamcoze to earn himself a move away from from Royal Antwerp, a club that he's been trying to leave for a little bit of time now. So we'll have to see if he's successful or not. But in the meantime, we're just enjoying his antics a little bit. He's just being a, being a pretty funny guy so far. Yeah, let's see if he's able to manufacture that move to Fenerbahce that he that he hopes for. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, share us as well, leave a rating as well, and yeah, we'll we'll see you next week. See you next week.